Good morning. My name is Pam. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Samuel 2, verses 12 and 26, and chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Now Eli's sons were despicable men who didn't know the Lord. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel kept growing up and was more and more liked by both the Lord and the people. The Lord called to Samuel, I'm here, he said. Samuel hurried to Eli and said, I'm here, you called me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go lie down. So he did. Again, the Lord called Samuel. So Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, I'm here, you called me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli replied. Go and lie down. Now Samuel didn't didn't yet know the Lord, and the Lord's word hadn't yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli, and said, I'm here. You called me? Then Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down where he'd been. Then the Lord came and stood there, calling just as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Hi, my name is Martha. The New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 4, 13b through 16. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth in love, let's grow in every way into Christ who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Marvin. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 58. When he came to the town, he taught the people in the synagogue. They were surprised and said, where did you get this wisdom? Where did you get the power to do miracles? Is the carpenter's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother named Mary? Aren't his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, are his brothers? And his sisters, aren't they here too? Ain't they here too? Aren't they here too? Where did this man get all this? They were repulsed by him and fell into sin. But Jesus said to them, Prophets are honored everywhere except in his hometown, in his own household. He was unable to do miracles because of their disbelief. Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's remain standing as we pray. Gracious Father, thank you. Uh, that you speak. And we pray that you would help us to take the posture, the place of Samuel, 
to be the kind of people that say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Would you give us ears to hear what it is that you want to say to us? Help us to be receptive to all that you're doing by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It's great to see you this morning. My name is Jason Jackson. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Downtown. I was actually not supposed to be here this morning. Uh, on Friday, I was supposed to get on a plane and fly to Iowa for my brother's 50th birthday party. That's the only reason to fly to Iowa in January, period. <laughs> but because it's January and it's Iowa, my plane got canceled because they hit a blizzard and so I was not able to go uh, up there. Then Friday afternoon, we found out that Pastor Glenn, our lead pastor, had come down with a fever. Well, then yesterday morning, Glenn texted me and said, I'm not going to make it. You're up. Uh, so here we go. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to make it. Uh, but as I was thinking and praying yesterday and preparing for the message, I realized that this is actually our two-year anniversary uh, for being here at New Life Downtown. It was two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago that my wife, Sarah, and our three girls pulled in and said, okay, here we are. Uh, and it has been so fun. And we want to just take a moment and thank you so much. Uh, it's so fun to work at the place that you would choose to worship. And if you just live in town, it's like, that's the church that I want to be a part of. That's the church that I, I want to worship at. And to be on staff and to be able to serve is such an honor. Thank you all so much. We, we absolutely love you and, and love this church. We are in the second week of a series entitled Kingdom and Chaos, where we're walking through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we'll actually be in this book all the way up until Easter. So this is number two of 14 as we continue to sort of walk through these passages uh, together. And 1 Samuel, is, it's a fascinating book. I mean, it, it's filled with all sorts of incredible stories and characters and so many things. But really, at, at 1 Samuel is a book about Israel in transition. They are walking through some significant transitions in this book. The most significant one really is they're moving from this sort of loosely knit, held together confederation of tribes into a united monarchy. And they're moving then from sort of the rule and reign support of judges into having a king. These huge transitions. But not only that, we're going to see today that they're moving from having some leadership provided by Eli and his family as priests to having Samuel sort of rise as Eli and his family fall. We got that transition. And in addition to that, we're going to see next week that even uh, the Ark of the Covenant Israel, the, sits the center of Israel's tabernacle, the place where they come to worship, that that is moving in this book. Starts off in Shiloh, and by the time that we get into 2 Samuel, it ends up in Jerusalem. And as you know, if you've ever gone through any transitions in life, transitions are seasons of questions. They just are questions everywhere. You know, when you're moving to a new city, I remember as we're kind of pulling in, it's like, okay, where are we going to get our groceries? And who's going to be our doctor? And where can I get a good cup of coffee? Like the really important things. You know, you've got to kind of figure those things out. And, and then there's the questions. You know those questions. Then there's a whole other set of questions that you don't even know to ask until you get there. And all of a sudden, you start hearing people mention Yusafa, and you're like, 
the Lion King? Like, what? what what's that? This Mufasa, not Yusafa. Like, and then finally, humble yourself and say, okay, what's Yusafa? Please, somebody tell me. So, for those of you who have not had the guts to ask yet, it stands for United States Air Force Academy. Okay, that's, that's what it is. Or at church up at New Life North, I kept hearing people mention the whoopsie. Like, what's the whoopsie? Like, what, and they're like, we're meeting in the whoopsie, and finally I just had to say, okay, what is that? Like, oh, it stands for the World Prayer Center. Because, you know, it just happened. I don't know. I, I would like to roll that one back. Whoever came that, that started that, that needs to be. And so there's these questions that you don't even know to ask yet, like how to avoid I-25 at all hours of the day. Uh, you're, you're learning all those things, but then there's those bigger questions that we have. Like, where do I belong? Right? Who are my friends? Where am I going to go to church? What's this job really going to be like? You have those questions that really settle in on us in these seasons. In the book of Samuel, the really the big question that they're wrestling with is who's in charge? Who's ruling the world? That as they move from this tribal federation to this monarchy, the question about the relationship between the king and Yahweh, what is this? Who is in charge? Who's ruling here is the big question that they're wrestling with. And we're going to try throughout this series to kind of continue to show that connection. But today, we're going to be in 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 2, verse 12, and kind of pop, uh, popping into different places in chapter 2 uh, and in chapter 3. And we're really going to be looking at the rise of Samuel. And this sort of transition from Eli and Eli's leadership into Samuel. And Samuel really is Israel's first prophet. I mean, it's the best way to kind of describe him. There's other people that are called prophet beforehand, namely Moses, uh, who's called the prophet. But when we think of prophet, we think of Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all those folks. Really, we can kind of see the core of what Israel's sort of prophetic ministry is going to be starting here with Samuel. And so we want to take a look at what does it really mean to be a prophet? And how is it that Samuel sort of called into this vocation? And how might that inform us as the people of God about our vocation? about our vocation to be a prophetic voice for God in the world. What can we learn from Samuel's example? So if you want to, you can turn to uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, or you can go ahead and follow along on the screens, whatever is easiest for you. Last week, we kind of talked about Samuel's birth a little bit. Samuel's mother, Hannah, was barren for an extended period of time. In the midst of her barrenness, she cries out to God. She turns her plight into prayer and goes into the tabernacle, goes to the place to pray, and prays and pours her heart out to God. Eli, the priest at the time, confuses sort of her, uh, her prayer for being drunk in the midst of the tabernacle, kind of a, a sign that the priest doesn't have a clue really what's going on. Um, and eventually, uh, he kind of recognizes, he blesses her. She goes back and eventually she conceives. But in the midst of that prayer, she says, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. I will devote him fully to you. So she gives birth to a boy. She names him Samuel. And then after he's weaned, she takes and leaves him at the temple to be raised by Eli in the midst of this place of worship. Really, Hannah's sort of exceptional act is the foundation behind us doing child dedications, of us having parents kind of stand in front of the church and saying, hey, we dedicate these kids to God. Of course, the major difference is, is we send your children home with you. 
We don't want them to say Palmer in particular does not want newborns here Monday through Friday. Maybe if we end up in a permanent space, then we can consider something different. But for right now, we'll continue to have you take your kids home with you. But starting in chapter 2, verse 12, it says this. It says, now Eli's sons were despicable men who didn't know the Lord. The word here in the original language is actually the word wicked. It's the same word that Eli earlier uses to describe Hannah. That she, he thinks she's wicked and getting drunk in the tabernacle instead of faithful and praying. See, one of Eli's problems is that he sees evil where it doesn't exist, and then he refuses to see it in his own house. He sees it in Hannah where it's not there, but he refuses to see it in his own sons. Eventually, their wickedness will become so great that he has no other choice but to rebuke them. But Eli's huge challenge is that he rebukes them and he never removes them. That here they are serving as priests amongst God's people, and he tells them to stop it when he should have actually removed them from what it is that they were doing. And as the story goes on, we'll find out that God's going to send an anonymous prophet, somebody whose name we don't know, to come and speak a word to Eli and to let him know that because of his ineffectiveness and because of uh, his children's sin, that his household's going to end that his priestly line is going to come to a completion, that God is going to do something new. And it goes on, it says, verse 17, it says, the sin of these priestly assistants was very serious in the Lord's sight because they were disrespecting the Lord's own offering. In the preceding verses, what is happening is that as Israel is coming to worship, they're bringing animals for sacrifice. This is part of what Israel is doing. And the way that the sacrificial system is set up is that when worshipers bring an animal to be worshiped, what happens is, is that typically a portion of that is taken and burned up completely as an offering to God. A portion of it is given it to the priests for them to be able to eat and sustain their life off of, and the rest of it is given it to the worshiper so that they might there in the midst of God's presence feast and enjoy and partake of what it is that he's provided. And what Eli's sons though are doing is they're going around and they're taking portions that belong to the worshiper for themselves. And they're not only doing that, they're taking the portions that belong to Yahweh and they're taking them for themselves as well. They're going around, instead of being satisfied with what they've been given, they're going around and taking what hasn't been given for them, given to them, treating it as if it's their own offering rather than recognizing that this is Yahweh's and it's gracious that he gave you a part of it. And they're going around and taking it, seeing again them failing in their priestly vocation. And we then see in the rest of this chapter that their actions, their behavior is going to be contrasted sharply with the person of Samuel. It's kind of this back and forth throughout the whole chapter. And we see this, though, being described about Samuel. Verse 18, it says, Now Samuel was serving the Lord. He was a young boy clothed in a linen priestly vest. Your uh, translation might say a linen ephod, which is just really fun to say. His mother would make a small robe for him and take it to him every year when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel kept growing up and was more and more liked by both the Lord and the people. This huge contrast between Eli or between Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, and this boy, Samuel. And the really interesting thing in this passage is that Samuel wasn't born a priest. That he's been dedicated here by his mom, but he's fully clothed in the garments. He's wearing all the priestly sort of robes and ephods, and he's learning this priestly vocation. 
And what we see in Samuel's life is that Samuel was formed by a priestly vocation before he ever became a public prophet. It's the first thing I want us to pull out from this is that a prophet is formed in private before they're ever sent out in public. A prophet is formed in private and they're not just born into this position. See, in Israel's ideal is that if you're born to the priest, then you become a priest. And if you're the firstborn son of the king, then you become the king. That two of their sort of major religious leaders are going to be the people that are born into that line. But a prophet is always called out from somewhere else. They're being formed in a private, quiet, secluded, hidden space. And then called by Yahweh out into this realm, into this role, into this vocation. And Samuel spent years learning to minister before the Lord before he ever spoke on God's behalf. The text actually says he's three times, there was Samuel serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. He was formed before he ever had a platform. He was formed in a quiet, secret, slow place before he ever had a platform in which he was supposed to speak from. See, one of the great temptations of our day is that we want to have a public platform without ever having our character formed by God. We want to have a public platform without ever having our character formed by God. And the danger of our day is that we can actually have it. That with the onset of the internet and social media with YouTube and podcasts and blogs and Twitter, you can have influence without integrity. And you can have authority without accountability. That you can have a platform without ever having your character shaped and formed in the deep places by God himself. Seeing if we're not careful, our gifts, our talents, our ability, our voices will take us further than our character can possibly bear. It happens all the time. That we see someone rise up with their voice and yet their character cannot sustain the platform that they went after. See, if we really want to have influence, if we really want to be the kind of people who speak on God's behalf, to have a prophetic voice into our world, which God actually calls us into as his people, he wants us to have that prophetic voice. If we want to know what that looks like, we cannot focus on our platform. We have to focus on formation, on being the kind of people that allow the Spirit to do the slow quiet, hidden work that happens in our souls. To be the kind of people that are going to go and minister before the Lord, serve him in quiet, and allow him to start to chisel those places in us that need to come off, to heal the places that are broken, to reshape those that have been malformed, and allow him to do something that only he can do in our hearts and our character. If we want influence, we have to say first that we want to be with the Lord in the private places. And then if he chooses to call us out into a public place, great. But this always goes first, that a prophet is formed in private. Story goes on. It says, now the boy Samuel was serving the Lord under Eli. There it is again. He's serving the Lord. 
And he's under someone else's authority. He's willing to even submit to this, even though Eli's not the greatest guy. He's submitting to that. And the, word, the Lord's word was rare at that time. And vi- visions weren't widely known. What an indictment kind of on Israel's spiritual life at this point in Eli's leadership. And one day, Eli, whose eyes had grown so weak, he was unable to see. He was lying down in his room. And God's lamp hadn't gone out yet. There's probably a lamp in the tabernacle. And Samuel was lying down in the Lord's temple, likely to keep the lamp going where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's chest was. And the Lord called to Samuel, I'm here, he said. And Samuel hurried to Eli and said, I'm here, you called me? And Eli, you know, in the middle of the night, being disturbed by a young person, like, I didn't call you, go back to bed. Get out of here, Eli. Go lie down. And, you know, Samuel, unlike my children, did. He just, you know, like went back. Like there was no caring. There's no like tucking back in. There's no finding stuffed animals that fell under. There's nothing. He just goes back. It's amazing. Uh, But, you know, if it happens once, it's going to happen again. So again, the Lord called Samuel. And so Samuel got up. And where does he go? He goes back to Eli and he said, I'm here, you called me. I didn't call you, my son. Eli replied, go and lie down. And then we get this interesting comment. Now Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. And the Lord's word hadn't yet been revealed to him. See, earlier it was actually said that Eli's sons didn't know the Lord. But they're adult priests. They're adults and they're priests. They should know the Lord, and they don't. Samuel is a boy. He's learning. He's growing. He's learning to know the Lord, and the Lord is waiting to reveal himself to him. That's why the key word here is yet. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He was a boy and needed actually someone to teach him. Needed someone to show him, and more importantly, needed the Lord to reveal himself to him. This is one of the really interesting challenges. If you're discipling somebody, if you're mentoring someone, if you're in any place of influence with your friends, maybe your own children as a parent, and when you find yourself in that place, the really important thing is that that call to come alongside someone is to help them hear the voice of God. But what often happens is, is they hear our voice instead. And the challenge is, is how do we help them hear the voice of the Lord above all of the other voices, even our own, as we come alongside and teach and train and disciple and mentor and come alongside people in friendship? How do we help them hear the voice of the Lord? That's what is happening here with Samuel. The story goes on. It says a third time the Lord called Samuel and he got up and he went to Eli and once again said, I'm here, you called me. And then Eli realized, finally realized, it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Donnie was like, wait a minute. God hasn't spoken a long time, but he's now speaking and he's speaking to this boy. So Eli taught Samuel what to do. He said to Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he laid down where he'd been. And the Lord came and stood, calling just as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said exactly what Eli had taught and trained him to do. Speak, for your servant is listening. 
So we oftentimes think that the primary vocation of a prophet, the primary thing that they do or the fundamental thing they do is to speak. But we learn from Samuel's life that a prophet primarily listens to the God who speaks. That this is what a prophet does as a prophet learns to hear the voice of God. That a prophet is someone who listens to the God who speaks. Over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, Yahweh is described and portrayed in in Acts as the God who speaks. He personally and directly addresses his people over and over and over and over again. He is in no way a mute God, but a God who speaks, a God that relates, a God that has conversations with his people. And the primary vocation of the prophet is to listen to tune their ear to what it is that God is saying. Because we have to hear the word before we can proclaim the word. So we frequently just want to go and start speaking before we have anything to say. Before we've heard anything from him, we want to just go and say, oh, here's what I know. But it's the Lord who speaks. And as the people of God, as those called to prophetic, prophetic vocation, we're called to listen Abraham Joshua Heschel, the brilliant Jewish scholar, in his book on the prophets puts it this way. He says, the fundamental experience of the prophet is is a fellowship with the feelings of God. A fellowship with the feelings of God. A sympathy with the divine pathos. A communion with the divine consciousness which comes about through the prophet's reflection of and participation in the divine pathos, the very emotions of God. The prophet hears God's voice and feels his heart. The prophet hears God's voice and hears his heart. To be a kind of people who know the voice of God and to know what he thinks and feels about any situation that he might be inviting us to speak into. That we speak not simply knowing what it is that God said, but actually knowing how God feels about what he's saying. Having that kind of intimate sort of connection. See, in our challenges is that we think we know what God thinks and feels. We assume that God thinks and feels about any given situation, what we think and feel about that situation. Or about what our friends think and feel that situation or our culture thinks and feels about that situation. That we're convinced that God certainly thinks like I do. I mean, I'm, you know, surely I got this. I know what he thinks, what he feels. I can see it. Surely this God, this is how you feel. So I'm going to go and move into that space. But Samuel reminds us that we actually have to learn to distinguish God's voice and God's heart. From the voices of those around us, he thinks it's Eli, it's not. But even from our own voice. And our own thoughts and our own feelings and saying, okay, God, what do you think? What do you say? What do you feel about the situation? Not me, you. Not them, you. Not this, you. What do you have to say? What do you think? What do you feel? So we have to learn it. And as, ha- as Heschel notes, we learn it through reflection and through participation. Through sustained study and sustained prayer spending time with God over and over and over again, praying, worshiping, opening the scriptures, studying them, pouring ourselves out over them. There are no shortcuts. 
This is how we learn. Is in those things that we call spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, those things the church has been doing for thousands of years. Why? Because this is what God, this is how God speaks. This is where we get to know him. We spend time in the places he promises to be. And we begin to hear his word, to distinguish his voice, and to know his hearts. Over the next couple of verses, what Samuel actually hears is a, as a reiteration of the prophecy that Yahweh spoke earlier through the anonymous person. An anonymous prophet comes and speaks a word of judgment against Eli and his sons and against Eli's household and says that Eli's time is done, that there's going to be an end to Eli's ministry, the end of this kind of time as Eli is serving as the priest. And so Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God begins to tell him the similar thing begins to tell him what is going to happen with Eli. And so Samuel receives this word, and then this is what happens. Samuel just lay there until morning. And then the doors opened to the Lord's house, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. He's terrified. What is going to happen if I speak this word to this person? I don't know what's going to happen here. But Eli called Samuel saying, Samuel, my son, I'm here. And, uh, or Samuel, my son, and I'm here, Samuel said. What did he say to you, Eli asked? Don't hide anything from me. May God deal harshly with you. And worse still, if you hide from me a single word from everything he has said to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing Here's Eli's response. He's the Lord. He will do as he pleases. This is like the most remarkable moment in Eli's life. To be able to humbly receive what it is that the Lord has to say, especially when it's a word of judgment. He very easily could have just said, rebuked Samuel. He could have kicked Samuel out. He could have done so many things to Samuel in that moment. Samuel is a boy living in this person's house, relying on them to provide things for them. And he goes and he speaks the word, and Eli receives it, which is actually rather rare for the prophets. See, what a prophet does is after they hear the word from the Lord, a prophet speaks the truth to power. Prophet speaks the word of the Lord to those in power, reminding them who the real king is, reminding them who's in charge, reminding them that there is a God who sits on the throne and you are not him. And here's what he thinks and feels about this situation, that a prophet is called to speak the truth to power. But what we learn from Samuel is that Samuel is actually rather reluctant to do this. Sometimes we're really quick to be that person, right? We're like, oh, yes, I will tell them. Please, Lord, send me. I am ready. I will tell my boss on your behalf everything that you think of them and their leadership and the way they're running this company and all the ways that you and or I think they should be doing it differently. We're quick, but Samuel's reluctant. He doesn't want to say what he's heard. But he goes on and he speaks a word of judgment to his priest and to his mentor. It's really hard to speak the truth to power when that power has been your benefactor. It's really hard to speak the truth to power when that power has been your benefactor. Samuel does it anyway, and we're called to as well. 
See, what a prophet fundamentally does kind of in this public vocation after they've spent time being formed and after they've heard what it is that the Lord has to say is that God then calls them into a situation where they are to speak up for those who are powerless, to speak up for those who are marginalized, to speak up for those who have been hurt and abused and cast aside. They come alongside with God's heart, God's feeling, God's word, and come on God's behalf and speak up for these folks. But in order to speak up for those who have been marginalized, you also then have to speak against those who are in power. But usually the two go hand in hand. To speak up when it's not wanted or welcome. This is why Jesus says that a prophet is rarely welcome in their hometown. Who wants to hear that when we're interested in protecting our own power and our own position? Probably the best contemporary example of this, of speaking truth to power, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. America's prophet. The prophet we didn't want, but the prophet we needed, and the prophet we still need him. Here's what he says about the prophetic vocation in his sermon on the Good Samaritan. He says this. He says, the ultimate measure of a person is not where he or she stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he or she stands at times of challenge and controversy. The true neighbor will risk position, prestige, and even life for the welfare of others. In dangerous valleys and hazardous pathways, he or she will lift some bruised and beaten brother or sister to a higher and more noble life. And that often means speaking truth against those who have put them in that place. This is exactly what Dr. King himself does at great cost to himself. But he continued to speak truth to power. Dr. King really actually took the Apostle Paul's words to heart. He spoke those words in love. He spoke those words that we might all grow up into maturity in Christ. That we as the people of God might be a reflection of God and his kingdom in the world. That from Dr. King's situation that God has always wanted, a multi-ethnic, multi-racial family that lives together in unity because of the love of Jesus. And he speaks into that situation. And the truth is that our world needs more prophets. That your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your city, your country, your world need more prophets. The prophets like Samuel. Prophets who have been slowly, even painfully, formed in quiet places with God. People who are more interested in character than just simply in establishing a platform. People who have learned to listen to the God who speaks, who've learned to discern his voice above every other voice, who know God's word and know God's heart. And people who, after receiving a word from the Lord, are willing to speak truth in love to those in power, no matter what it might cost. The world needs more people like this. And God calls us to be these kind of people. After all, this is actually what it, part of what it means to follow Jesus. Because Jesus himself is the true prophet. 
But if we look at all the hopes, all the expectations, all the things that we hope for in a prophet, all of those things are perfectly filled in Jesus. That Jesus is the one who matured in private. That he lives in relative obscurity for 30 years. Luke uses the same phrases of Jesus as the writer of Samuel uses of him, that Jesus uh, went and he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with others. And even in his public ministry, Jesus continually withdrew to deserted places, to lonely places, to go and to be with the Father. Because that was the second thing is that Jesus listened to the Father. He said in John's gospel that I do nothing on my own, but I say just what the Father has taught me. What I see the Father doing, that's what I do. What I hear the Father saying, that's what I say. He listened to the voice of the Father and he spoke it. And when he did, Jesus confronted the very powers of evil. That he spoke the word of the Lord to Satan himself. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, and he raised the dead. He confronted the powers of sin and death, and he defeated them through his cross and his resurrection. That he took everything that they could possibly throw at him, took it all upon himself on the cross, and defeated it, buried it, killed it, and was raised to death on the third day. This is why when we follow Jesus in his prophetic vocation, we know that all of our confrontation of the powers is cross-shaped. And we do so with a Christ-like love, speaking the truth and willing to lay down our lives for others. See, Jesus is the true prophet. He's the true prophet for us. That Jesus is the one who, when we find ourselves beaten and broken and downcast, that he's the prophet who comes and speaks a word of life and encouragement to us. He comes and speaks on our behalf against those who are persecuting us, against those who are harming us. At the same time, he then lifts us up and sets us in a place and enables us to be able to do the same thing for other people. He enables us and empowers us to be prophets, to speak the truth in love, to hear God's voice, to be formed in his image, to speak the truth where he calls us. But he's also a prophet to us in the ways that we don't necessarily want him to be. That when we're in the places where we're abusing our power, he comes and confronts us as well. That he comes and speaks the truth to us in love in the places maybe where we don't necessarily want to hear it. That it might drive us back into the private places. That God can continue to work on our hearts. That he can restore us to the place that he called us. And he's not only the true prophet, He's also the true priest and the true king. In this place, when the prophet comes, when Jesus comes, and he begins to point out those things in our lives, those places that need to be chiseled and shaped and formed, the places where our love has failed, he comes and he speaks that word of truth to us. But he also comes alongside of us as the true priest, as the one who offers and extends us forgiveness. He comes and says, yes, I see that. You need to know this. There's forgiveness, there's reconciliation, there's redemption, there's restoration in me. 
Thank you for joining us today at New Life Downtown. You can return to our website at newlifechurch.org downtown to find out more about the church and how you can get connected. You can email us with any questions that you have. We look forward to getting to know you a little bit better. Feel free to follow us on social media as well. We're ready to welcome you into the family of God at New Life Downtown.